What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For West Ham fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews, and the best West Ham videos and podcasts. Download the free COY Irons app now from the App Store and Google Play. On episode 70 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, we finally have something positive to talk about as West Ham toppled Chelsea in a 3-2 thrilling win. We also look ahead to West Ham's match against Newcastle and give our score predictions on the upcoming huge matchup. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. Welcome to the Green Street Hammers podcast. This is episode 70 and you can tell by my voice we have something positive to talk about today because we are back and better than ever after West Ham pull off their first win since the restart. 3-2 thrilling win over Chelsea Uh, and with me today is Henry. Henry, how are things going for you, man? A lot better after last night. It was a (laughs) fantastic result, which I don't think any of us saw coming. I think, Adam, you might have been the most positive to predict a one-all draw in our predictions but I don't, none of us saw that coming and I mean it's the West Ham way to prove it when none of us think anything positive will happen as they go and get a win and that's why we love them. Exactly they keep us on the hook a little bit here a little bit there and uh, of course we have Aaron with us as well. Aaron how you doing man? I'm doing great as well. I think uh, feeling a palpable sense of relief after yesterday's result. It was uh, it was fantastic, and yeah, it does seem to be the the West Ham way. Whenever we uh, count them out or start questioning uh, questioning the players and the manager, they find a way to surprise us, and yeah, that is why we love them. You say palpable, I say palpitation inducing because my heart rate was literally skyrocketing for like an hour after the game because that was so intense so i guess we should break it down that's what we're here to do uh west ham versus chelsea we have the uh the inevitable london derby and this was basically the last game of the opening stretch of games where you're like west ham if they didn't get any points it would almost be understandable um not acceptable but understandable 
Uh, again, that's built on the back of if West Ham had any sort of effort in the first two matches, you know, we would at least be able to swallow that tough pill a little bit easier. Anyways, we go into this game, and uh, I'll read out your starting 11 for you guys here in the formation. It was technically a 4-3-3, uh, or sorry, a 4-2-3-1, if you will. Uh, so Fabianski in goal, Fredericks at right back, Diop and Ogbonna back at center back. Great having Ogbonna back. Cresswell at left back, Rice Suchek holding, and the attacking midfield three was Bowen on the right, Fornells in the middle, and Lanzini on the left with Antonio up top. The bench was Balbuena, Yarmolenko, Anderson, Wilshire, Ajedi, Silva, Randolph, Alfie Lewis got a bench start, and Ben Johnson, and Lewis was in because he's a central midfielder, and Mark Noble uh, twinges back in, uh, in warm-ups there, uh, or in uh, training in the midweek so he was out of the game he was actually at the stadium you could see him sitting there um, watching along in the in the stands but uh yeah we had two central midfielders on the bench Wilshire and Lewis and Lewis is actually I think a really solid prospect so keep an eye on him for maybe a loan uh this coming season but he's uh he's a strong prospect didn't get into the game but we'll get to that anyways so uh I want to see I want to get your guys opinion here Aaron did this you actually we have a, a, a slack chat and you were saying that it, it at least excited you a little bit because it wasn't, you know, four five one basically, uh, and it was a little more attacking. Lanzini, who played well in his uh, spot appearance against Spurs, uh, earned the the start in this one. Anderson on the bench uh, again, which is fitting, uh, and Rice to captain the team. So, how excited were you, and what really spurred on that excitement when you looked at the team sheet uh, to start the game? At first, I was uh, I was a little intrigued to kind of see where Lanzini and Fornals were both gonna going to line up, and I, I guess once I realized that you know Fornals was mostly kind of going to be playing in the hole a bit there, I really uh, I really thought that was kind of excited me. I really uh, I feel like when Mark Noble, Suchek, and Rice are all in the middle of the park, that's kind of three players who all have somewhat of a similar mindset. So. I felt if, you know, even when Lanzini kind of switched into the middle as well with Fornells, that it just kind of, it gave that player who who really had the ability to kind of unlock and make great passes going forward. So that was uh, that was kind of the exciting aspect for me. And just, just to see changes, I think with David Moyes, we all laugh about it, but, you know, he had kind of been pretty, uh, kept it pretty consistent going uh, the past couple of matches. It was nice to see him actually uh, be capable of making a move. Yeah, 100%. It, it was nice to see a little bit of movement in the team and not just so stuck in his ways. The formation, you can kind of call it what you will. Um, at times it was a 4-5-1 when it needed to be. Uh, and certainly on the spur of a lot of those counterattacks from West Ham, it was because everyone had to come back in. Uh, Henry, what did you think of the team? Were you as impressed with it or did you sort of uh, think maybe it was just a, a, a new look to the same old machine here? Um, I, I was... I think I was quite like uh, Aaron. I was quite excited because once Noble sort of dropped out with his injury, you could imagine probably going to sort of maybe a back five rather than a midfield five and Balbrena taking a spot and Moyes taking the the uh, sort of thought to let's try not to lose this as by as much as possible. Um, but the fact he sort of went with Lanzini to replace him and then you sort of end up with four attackers, yes, not a natural striker, but... <laughs> four natural attacking players in four now, Zanzini, Bowen and Antonio. And Suchek is more than capable of getting up and down as is Rice. All of a sudden, there was a lot of attacking potential in the team. And I thought I was excited by it and I'm really, really happy it paid off. I mean, two of our goals came from open play. Two of them came from corners, although only one stood. 
But I mean, for us to get score three goals and two be from open play is a brilliant achievement for us because we have been sort of stuck as a set piece team for yeah. a while. So this fact of seeing us create and move the ball well for the goals was brilliant, especially um, for now's for the second goal when Antonio went down and he kept it alive. I thought that was a brilliant move that sort of went a bit under the radar because you could imagine sort of almost everyone turning around to the referee and appealing for the penalty. But they kept going and they got a great second goal there. And the movement for the third goal was also just brilliant. Um, and Suchek showed his power for the first one. So I think it was a very good lineup for the game. Um, but I'd like to see Haller probably come back into it for the Newcastle game. But for Chelsea, it worked perfectly. Absolutely, yeah, and there was a lot to like, like you said, about different aspects of the game, and I was even saying to you guys that I thought Fornells had run his race by the time Yarmolenko was coming on, so maybe flip Bowen across, put Yarmolenko on the right, um, but then you see on that that goal by Yarmolenko at the end, Fornells busting up the left-hand side and gave Rudiger something he had to at least consider and think about. That being said, both shot and pass were on Rudiger's right side, and he just decided to fall over instead. So um, we'll come to that. Uh, the, the first goal that did not stand was completely ridiculous. John Moss was the uh, VAR official. Um, the review took, I think, three and a half minutes, four minutes for them to come to a conclusion that Antonio was offside, did not touch the ball, but somehow impeded the view while laying on the ground of a shot that was like six yards out five yards out uh, of Keppa who was standing up so or, or kneeling down. So it was completely ridiculous. Uh, I just want to get your guys' thoughts on it there. Uh, Henry, we can come to you first and then go right into Aaron there. But what did you think about it? To me, I could not understand why, and, and the announcers couldn't because they were clearly guessing afterwards. Uh, came out in a tweet post game. But how do, how do you justify a decision like that in a game that means so much to both teams? Um, yeah, it was a very odd decision. I think... As a fan, like if any decision needs to take that long, your safer bet is just to award the goal. Like it starts to look like the referee in the VAR box is like looking for something wrong with it if it's not become apparent after he's looked at it at least twice. And that's surely what we thought VAR was in for was for clear and obvious mistakes. And if it's taken him that long to come to um a understanding of what's happened then it's not clear and obvious so I'm I agree with the rules that it was offside because his head was offside which is a part of the body you can play the ball with um and it's he's in line with the goalie I wouldn't say he's not in the eye line but he's in line so the argument is there factually but that's not as much an issue of VAR as it is with the rules. It reminded me a lot of a few years ago when Alex Song scored a volley for West Ham against Arsenal, which I think we ended up losing the game from about 25 yards out. And I think it was Andy Carroll or someone was like near the goalkeeper, but he didn't touch it. And it just when that rule first brought, was brought in about um, if it's if something's like in the way of the goalkeeper, even if they don't touch the ball sort of thing. And it sort of reminded me about that, like how can you rule that out? They haven't touched it. Like they can't get out of that position quicker. Like they're, tr they're not trying to be um, like obstructive. Like, I mean, Antonio's literally on the floor. Yeah. Like it's not even like he's standing up and going like, Oh, look at me. Don't look at the ball. Um, so 
I, I, I really disagree with the decision. I understand why it got made, but I disagree with it. And I, it's one I sort of put down to the rules being not clear or maybe not correct with the technology. And it should maybe be a change to the whole body. There has to be like clear distance between the player and the defender rather than part of the body, um, which I think would make it a lot easier if there's like sort of a clear line. So I think there either has to be a rule change or some sort of redefinition of what VAR is. Aaron, I, I want to get your thoughts as well, but also do you think maybe there should be a time limit uh, for VAR reviews just to sort of pressure on that point of clear and obvious? Yeah, I really think um, first thing I kind of thought about when Henry was talking there is for anybody who watches uh, NFL or National Football League over here in uh, North America, and it's there, there tends to be, I mean, it sometimes gets muddled a little bit, but there's this idea that it has to be clear um, like evidence to overturn the initial ruling on the field. And that's kind of like the first thing I think of with that. It took three and a half minutes, and at a certain point, like it really almost makes you question what what the refs are looking for and what they're thinking of. You know, if you if they can't even decide until three and a half minutes into it, then how well do they know the rules and how much is this kind of like an oddity? And I, I mean, when it all happened, I, I really didn't think Antonio got involved. It was kind of, it was really frustrating. I was actually watching it with my father-in-law, whose uh, exposure to football is about basically watching five minutes of West Ham matches with me here and there and trying to explain to him why they didn't count the goal when I couldn't fully even understand was how was frustrating in itself. But I, it just made me uh, dislike Kepa even more too after like the incident he had with Sari and then like immediately the goal goes in and he just immediately kind of blames Antonio even though we could all see that he wasn't really part of that play at all. It's just it was just a frustrating and it just classic West Ham. I just kind of felt at that point like sat down. I'd been standing to watch the match and I just was like, here we go again. Just another another opportunity that got kind of taken away from us and it's going to be one of those afternoons. And of course in perfect West Ham fashion. Chelsea go right down the pitch and Diop leaves his leg in on a tackle. Pulisic wins the penalty and, and William converts it. Um, it. It was just so deflating. I think at that point in time, I was sitting there with my head in my hands. Uh, William's goal, the first one came in the 42nd minute. So you're thinking, okay, West Ham can see it again before the half's out. They go in deflated, um, basically dejected. The belief's gone. Okay, let's try and lose in a respectable fashion. Keep it close. But instead, West Ham pressure down the pitch. And it, it brings up a point that I want to talk about. And that is um, Frank Lampard's lack of, I guess, composure post-game. He, he was talking about the game and how Chelsea were, quote-unquote, dominating it. Which, possession-wise, they were. The uh, We looked at the stats here. West Ham had 28.8% of possession. And they had four shots on target, three of which went in. Um, now, total shots for Chelsea was 17 with six going in. Uh, sorry, six on target, rather. And 71.2% possession, of course. Passing stats, Chelsea were more dominant. Clear-cut chances, West Ham were, were two, two to nil on that. Corners, three for Chelsea, which they got nothing from. Two from West Ham, which they scored on both of them, um, arguably, if you will. It, it was just sort of... It was uh, the point I want to make about Lampard is he continuously said Chelsea dominated. They should have won the game. They were in it to win it. They were pressuring. Not once did he talk about his team's defense. As Pilaqueta was being um, like more of an agitator than I would permit if I was a ref uh, trying to get in between West Ham's players. Nothing was done with that. On the other side, Alonso stomped on Bowen's back of his leg. 
because he was running away from him and didn't have a chance at the ball. No card was awarded there. Bone was down on the ground, visibly in pain. Uh, and you look at their center backs, Christensen. I mean, if you heard the announcer say his name once, that would be the only time during that game. And on the other side, Rudiger was absolutely terrible. He actually put the ball out under zero pressure for the goal that Suchek scored and counted. Um, and he also was the one who apparently did not read the scouting report on Andre Yarmolenko, who only has a left foot and shaded him to the other side. So there was so much wrong with Chelsea's defense, and the fact that Lampard wants to put that all on West Ham being capitalized, uh, capitalizing on their limited chances, Chelsea being dominant, blah, blah, blah. It's it's poor from him, someone who should have more respect for a club that gave him his start in football, uh, but also really short-sighted on his own end. Uh, again, he also made some, I would argue, some poor substitutions and did not tactically attack the game correctly. Um, the only issue West Ham had really with defending against Chelsea was when they were running uh, down the middle of the pitch at them. West Ham were fine to let you whip the ball in and let their center backs you know, win those aerial duels and, and push the ball out. It was when Pulisic was running right down the middle or Conte was bringing the ball up from behind that West Ham were having issues with Chelsea's attack. Lampard did not press on that at all, so I don't know what he was seeing. Anyways, I think this was more of a game thrown away by Chelsea and grasped by West Ham, who stuck in it. Played to their plan probably perfect. I remember we all laughed when Moyes made West Ham train without balls for a little while so they could get used to playing football without possession of the actual ball. But it's kind of coming to fruition here for West Ham. I want to talk about the goals now, guys. Uh, Suchek's goal that counted was, again, a beautiful corner back post from Jared Bowen, who had two assists on the day. Uh, Henry, we'll come to you first here. What did you see on on Suchek's goal? and, And do we finally maybe see him getting the just rewards uh, for being a holding midfielder with a, a bunch of height and physicality on set piece plays. Um, yeah, just to quickly sort of on your last point about Lampard and saying how they dominated the game. It's one thing that really sort of annoys me when like some pundits and some managers sort of almost criticize the other team for sitting back and like not coming out and trying to play football and saying that their team deserves more because they were like passing it around and had more possession. Because if teams like West Ham do that against the Chelsea's and the Cities and the Liverpool, then it's going to be a, a farcical match and the big teams will win five and six nil. The teams like us that are struggling, you need to try something different and you need to be defensive and be hard to beat before you try to score. So I completely agree with your point there. Like it's very crucial for teams to sort of play to their strengths. So it, yeah, I agree. Like it's sort of just trying to look for excuses rather than admit to his own mistakes. But yeah, the Suchek goal, I agree. The court, the ball went out um, sort of unnecessarily for the corner, but it was a great corner from Jared Bowen, who I didn't even realize had been given the like corner responsibilities, and he got up and Suchek got up brilliantly well headed him between Kepa and I think it was Rudiger as well on the post. So really sort of summed up Rudiger's day. Yeah. But yeah, great way for us to get back into the game, especially after like what happened five minutes earlier of thinking you scored, especially Suchek after the own goal against Tottenham, thinking he'd like sort of redeemed himself to having that taken away from him and then having the penalty and then them scoring the penalty to then Suchek now actually not only redeeming himself, but bringing the team back into the game was a massive, massive turning point in the game because I think Chelsea were, they were dominating for a lot of the game, but I don't think they were too 
they weren't clinical enough and they did they sort of lacked that final touch or that last pass that just didn't fall right for them and that's something that happens in football um but yeah so i was really really happy for suchek who i for me yesterday was man of the match because he was everywhere and he fully deserved his goal yeah, dominating but not threatening almost in a sense from Chelsea in that one. J- just because they were holding onto the ball, they were pressing for it, but like you said, they lacked that little finishing touch there. What were your thoughts, uh, Aaron, on, on Suchek's goal and, and the perseverance to sort of pick his head up and keep going despite being uh, have, you know having one stolen from him a few minutes prior? I was really happy for him. I've, uh, you know, I've... Uh, I guess a little love affair with Suchek since he's arrived. I thought he's the type of player that West Ham needed, you know, to just tireless, you know, a bit of a Czech robot out there. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, he showed, he showed such emotion when he scored that first one and then it got taken away from him. You could have kind of just, kind of just set a new attitude for the team. I think the fact that he was able to, you know, when does West Ham ever score at the end of a half or the end of a match? When does West Ham ever, you know, this, this year we've, anytime we've gone behind, we haven't got anything from it. So it just kind of, fact he was you know get up right before half get that goal and and get everybody back into it was was really exciting for me and i was really uh yeah really happy for him and i think it really changed the attitude and the uh the positivity around the team kind of set forth uh, a new uh a, a new energy levels for the second half and let's jump right into the to the second goal because this one I was you know it, it was Canada Day when this game was on yesterday for Aaron and myself so I'm upstairs cutting potatoes trying to get ready for a barbecue we're, we're having and I have my phone up with the game on it and I nearly cut my finger off because that goal came out of some great possession play and actually West Ham holding possession off of a throw-in which is rare for us to do um, but Declan Rice Aaron Cresswell pushed the ball around got it to Antonio. He appeals for a penalty on Rudiger sort of grabbing his chest and pulling him back, but that's rarely going to be given. Um, but, Henry, you mentioned it before, Fornell's ability to pick up the ball and keep the attack going rather than turn around, and Bowen to do the exact same thing was huge. And also Antonio, who had already been slighted by that VAR decision in the beginning, to not look at the ref, make a comment. He just got up and ran in, completely bewildered. Christensen, who was, I guess, supposed to be marking him. Rudiger and Christensen were both marking nobody on that play uh, and just bundle it into the net. I think uh, one of you guys said, uh, or maybe it was someone on Twitter, I can't remember, Antonio's so much better when he doesn't have to think about when he's playing football. He literally just got his foot on that, hit it as hard as he could, and, and you know bent the twine on the back of the net there. Uh, anything you guys want to bring up about this goal here? And well, we can start with you. Um, you know, Bowen's cross again, low blistering. It, it was perfect. Antonio's finish, uh, exactly where it needed to be. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on that finish from, from West Ham? Uh, it's nice to see... Uh... Antonio hit the net instead of blasting it over. He kind of had it in a perfect, perfect position. Or drag it wide like he did ten minutes into the game, right? Yeah, exactly. But uh, he, you know, he could have laid on the ground. He could have, you know, sulked or that he didn't get the call. And I, I think I goes back to that same sort of uh, attitude I discussed in my previous point that you know he didn't get the call. He got up and he kept playing, and that's uh, you know that was important. I thought Bowen, you know, Bowen maybe. Didn't get any, didn't, well, not maybe, he didn't get any goals yesterday, but I thought he was a, a massive player at both ends of the pitch. And so for him to kind of drag that ball back and square him up and just kind of show too the disorganization in, in Chelsea's defense and why they, they still have a long way to go as a club if they want to, you know, be competitive at the top of the table. There's, there's no way that, you know, your striker should be in the other team's box and no one's touching him. But I mean, we'll take it. And at that point, I, I think at that point, in the half, you know, we have been dominating and we, we deserve to go up to one. So I was pretty happy. What do you think there, Henry? 
Um, I agree with Aaron. Like, it was just a great goal. Lovely to see Antonio hit the net. I think he's not a reliable goal scorer, but everyone loves it when he does score because he's a very much a huge fan favourite. Uh, Bowen it was a brilliant cross. I actually thought he had a sort of a quieter game yesterday. I knew he was, I spotted he was quite being um, quite... Um, uh, he was contributing defensively really well, um, but I don't think yesterday was the game for him going forward. But he still managed to get two assists, which it shows me a brilliant trait that even if something's not going for you in your like favoured way, but you can still produce, that's brilliant and that's brilliant for West Ham to have going forward with Jared Bowen. So I'm really happy with how it worked out for him after the game, and hopefully he can sort of carry that on and push forward into the Newcastle match. But yeah, like I, I've sort of covered it earlier. Like for now, it's great, great awareness to keep the ball alive. And I mean, the awareness really from everyone, like to keep it going, Jared to react to four nows and Antonio to pick himself up after everything and then score the goal. It was uh, well, probably one of my favorite goals of the season, to be honest. Yeah, it, it was, it was, Really exceptional to watch here. And I guess we should finish up with talking about that last goal. And there's a lot to really bring up on it. Yarmolenko was brought on. Um, he was reluctant to sort of get back because he is an out-and-out winger, even an out-and-out forward if you want to call him a striker as well. He, he has spent time there for the Ukraine. Um, but the goal was so beautifully won because a 50-50 Suchek versus Conte, you're going to get Suchek in the air on that one every time. Fornells picks it up, I believe, plays it out to Antonio. Antonio... No, I think it was Rice, and then Antonio turns, spins, and fires, uh, sending Yarmolenko in alone. He pulls the ball back on his left-hand side and, and bangs it in that bottom corner. Uh, Henry, we'll, we'll snake back to you here. What do you think the celebration was about with Yarmolenko? He was doing sort of like the talking hand uh, gestures, both of them there, and yelling towards the bench. And he had like an angry sort of look on his face there. I'm half in a mind that he was talking to is someone on the bench that like he's friends with, basically saying like, look at me go here. I don't know what he's talking about. Or was that at Moyes basically saying, you're talking too much about our team and our players. Look at me get in here and score. What do you think it was? Um, well, uh, quick, I'd like to say Antonio knocked it back to Fornals, who then did like a one-two with him, and then he played the ball to Yarmolenko. I only realized this because I've watched it about 700 <laughs> times. Um, but and Yarmolenko's signals... I, there's a lot you can sort of take from it. I sort of probably think he's um, gesturing that to Moyes, to be honest, because he has been, he was sort of missing when Moyes uh, returned to the club, but he has been fit for quite a while and never really got a look in. So this, I think this might be like one of his only real appearances under Moyes. And he's like sort of paid back the faith that he's shown to put, to give him like that chance. So I, I like the, thinking that it's Yarmolenko saying that I'm here, I deserve to play, I can produce. And I think Yarmolenko is one of those players that gets a lot of criticism from a lot of fans but for being lazy because he doesn't contribute defensively. But he's one of those players that he always, he has flashes of form where he's brilliant. I mean, at the start of last season, he was one of the main reasons we got our first win against Everton and he scored a couple more goals and then he had his horrific injury. And then this year, he was probably one of our best players at the start of the season with his goals against Bournemouth and uh, Manchester United. So, but then he's, he's just, it's his injuries that have sort of cost him during his time here. Yep. 
But if he can sort of finally sort of banish those and have a consistent run of games, he'll be a huge player for us, especially with his left foot. I mean, I can't... It's a very predictable thing, but I can't imagine anyone ever getting tired of watching either Yarmolenko or Iron Robin cutting in from the left and whipping it into the top corner with their left foot. It's one of those skills that everyone loves to see. So I've got a lot of time for Yarmolenko, and I really hope we do see more of him before the end of the season. And Aaron, before I get your thoughts on that goal and, and Yarmolenko in general, uh, he's been the first name from myself and from a lot of people to be sold off this summer at a cut price, basically raise funds, get his wages off the books. But he's proving that when he plays, he does score goals. Like It's pretty crazy, his his goals to minute ratio, what it must be, because I, I don't know it off the top of my head, but it seems like every time he gets in, he, he puts one in. But there almost needs to be a conversation, and I don't know if it has happened, but it, it doesn't look like it has, about saying, you know, Moyes saying to him, basically, we're going to be using you as a sub, and it's not as a slight to your abilities as a starter. It's it's for the perseverance or preser- preservation rather of you as a West Ham player because we need you, but we know you know your body has that fragility that if you play 90 minutes or start a game and play 60, 70 minutes you're going to fall apart and you know how many times can you snap an Achilles right so I think there needs to be that that conversation and I just feel like there hasn't been but he's been so good and, and I don't know I I, I don't he's, he's apparently really funny really good guy maybe that celebration was to somebody on the bench maybe it was Bowen or something like that who was looking super excited so uh looks like uh you've pulled up the stat there 0.42 goals per 90 minutes it's got to be probably the best on West Ham's team by a long shot so uh he's an exceptional talent but you have to find and have that conversation about how to make him better for a longer term period here uh Aaron what are your thoughts on the goal what do you what do you make of Yarmolenko and is there a future with him post this season I think with Yarmolenko and I'm, I'm guilty of it too I know you're been one of his uh his loudest uh, supporters during uh, the last few weeks. But I, I think we all tend to focus on what so much on what he can't do instead of what he can do. And it's like, yeah, he's not fast. Yeah. He has one, one foot. Yeah. He's not the best at, you know, tracking back, but like he can score goals. And for a team that struggles to score goals, I mean, uh, we, we need a player like that. Um, you know, everybody knows he's going to his left foot, but he still finds a way to get the shot off. I don't, understand always how he does that he kind of reminds me for anybody who watches hockey years back there was a player who used to play for the maple leafs dave anderchuk and he was one of those guys who kind of like yermelenko he was slow he didn't do a whole lot else but he just managed to always find places to score goals i think that's what makes him so important for west Ham. and if he's willing to uh you know accept a role that maybe he's not going to be starting every game but he's going to be one of the first guys off the bench to be a difference maker i think that'd be good for his career and and good for the team I don't know if you guys have seen, uh, there's a still photo of uh, right when Rice first kicks that ball to start started up the pitch, and Alonzo and Yarmolenko are basically almost standing beside each other, you know, <laughs> and a few seconds later, he's he's 30 yards down the pitch, so I mean, yeah, he's not fast, but he had that awareness to immediately take off there. He, you don't necessarily always need to be the fastest player on the pitch if, you're, if your mind is thinking a few steps ahead of people. And uh, one of my uh, one of my good mates, who's a huge West Ham supporter and played football at a fair, pretty high level, he was kind of breaking down the game for me beforehand. And he talked about how much their backs like to get up the pitch, and that's a place we could really exploit them. And then to kind of see that happen, like you know, their left back late in the game is pretty much in our our penalty box or penalty area. So it kind of uh, it kind of shows that how Yarmolenko might have known that, and he was right down the pitch, and yeah, he got a beautiful goal. 
You love to see it, and, and you know that's a that's a, a great point. It's something that West Ham actually did kind of exploit. We we, we sort of talked about it, uh, finding width where they uh, where they were were narrow. So it worked out in the end, and you know we'll take that that win and we'll move on here. Um, any final thoughts, guys, as we close out our recap on this uh, triumphant win over Chelsea and where it puts us in the table? Uh, Aaron, we'll come back to you first here. As it stands right now, West Ham are um, out on more than just goal differential. Um, let me pull up the actual table here and, and, and pull up some point standing. So West Ham currently are sitting in 16th, uh, eight wins, six uh, draws, and uh, 18 losses, minus 18 on goal differential, but they're sitting on 30 points, and it's believed that 35 would be enough to save a team in the relegation battle this year. Um, this puts them two up on Watford, who were sitting one ahead of them, obviously, prior to this game, but also puts them one win behind Brighton. Um, for what could be a, a really monumental climb up the table there, just adding money to the pockets of, uh, of the team that hopefully can be reinvested and also settling the team as far as just escaping relegation to actually turning their season around. So, Aaron, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on the, po- the points there and the final thoughts on this Chelsea win? Yeah, I think it was, it was about time that we finally took some of our... Uh or the club took uh, matters into their own hands in the sense, you know, everybody's losing down at the bottom of the table. And, but, you know, at a certain point you have to start getting points instead of just hoping you can see less than everybody else that's losing. So it was nice to, you know, instead of going out there on the field and, you know, trying to keep the game close or trying to play for a draw, I mean, it has to be a massive confidence builder for the players to go out and beat a club like Chelsea. And, you know, going forward, I think, now that's could be one of those moments that kind of really uh, really turn things around for the final six matches of the season. I mean, going into Newcastle now, they're a team that's been playing pretty well. So, I mean, it's all for naught if you go there and you don't show up. But hopefully there's uh, the intensity levels that, you know, the players had for the Chelsea match can carry over. And Henry, what about you? Final thoughts here? Um, just, I, I'm still not the biggest fan of Moyes after the Chelsea game. Um, I still think there should be a change, but obviously he's sort of bought himself a bit of time after it. But yeah, looking to the Newcastle game, it's going to be difficult after they beat Bournemouth 4-0, doing us a massive favour. Um, and they did a they had a good result against Sheffield United, uh, winning 3-0 after Sheffield United had a man sent off. So there's probably question marks over their form because um, they didn't look like they were going to beat Sheffield until they'd had their man sent off. And, I mean, we beat Bournemouth 4-0, so there's always potential to get points up north. Um, but, yeah, it'll be a tricky game looking at Newcastle. And we'll, we'll break down that game uh, when we take a quick break and when we come back here. And part two, we are back here to talk about West Ham's upcoming match against Newcastle in just a few days' time. We are recording this on Thursday. They play Newcastle for me and Aaron, 9.15 in the morning uh, on Sunday. But, uh, yeah, this will be a really intense match because, as I had said previously, this was the first game in that stretch of top six uh, opponents uh, that West Ham you know, would probably have that belief they could actually get a result from. That being said, Newcastle have been on uh, some great form in their recent matches, and they did West Ham a huge favor, uh, beating Bournemouth 4-1 uh, yesterday, earlier in the day. Uh, they're coming off of a 2-0 uh, FA Cup loss to Manchester City, but they drew Villa before that. They beat uh, Sheffield 3-0 before that. They beat Southampton 1-0 before that. Uh, and they took down West Brom in the FA Cup, who had eliminated us prior um, if we go back even further there. Something to note here is that both wins um, against Southampton and Sheffield, 
were against uh, 10 men. Both teams had red cards. So um, if West Ham can keep their composure, uh, maybe there's something in this game that they can get out of it. However, as mentioned, their team is is banging on all cylinders right now, and their offense looks really strong. Uh, I know uh, St. Maximin is, is proving to be one of the best one-on-one players and you know one of the most exciting talents to watch. His speed is dribbling, and his end product has gotten substantially better as the season's gone on. And I think he's a confidence player, so that's really building up in, 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 within him there. As well, fringe players like Dwight uh, Gale are getting goals. Uh, he really, 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 really played poorly against Man City uh, when he came on there. But he he got an early goal for Newcastle to take control of this match. And I think Elmeron got a goal as well. I can pull that up. A player that was linked with West Ham. Dwight Gale, Sean Longstaff, Miguel Elmeron, and Valentino Lazaro. So... Um, those are players off the bench. Those are rotational players. Those are players that are, you know, getting, um, getting a shot and taking it. Uh, something that should be noted is that Joelinton, uh, their big striker who came over um, the same time West Ham got Sebastian Allaire, has not been banging on all cylinders. But uh, there's enough support around him with uh, the Longstaff striker Gale Almiron, and again Saint Maximin to sort of support him, and, and he's done well getting back. And I think he's doing a lot of good things off the ball now that can help build his game up. So basically, what I'm trying to say here is West Ham cannot lay down in this one and you know rest on their laurels of beating Chelsea to not drive into this match. Uh, Henry, I want to come to you first here. When you look at this Newcastle team, what's one thing you're concerned about and, and where you want West Ham to sort of pinpoint the attack when it comes to playing uh, to playing Newcastle here? Um, oh, it's a tricky one. They've looked so good recently. Um, but I think you, sort of, you just need to keep the ball. We just need to sort of have the possession of the ball and sort of try and suppress them as best we can. But we need to make sure, like, Fredericks is standing with St. Maximum every second of the game so he can't have like a a run um, into clear space. Um, but I do I do think that uh, Newcastle's centre-backs, I mean, the sales is good, but their partner, uh, Lejeune, I yep. think his name is, um, isn't like the strongest. So I think that's sort of where we should be targeting. Um, my biggest worry about Newcastle is the big number seven, Andy Carroll, oh. because... He would love to get a goal against West Ham, I think. Um, I think we still think of him quite fondly, and I still think he thinks of us quite fondly. But going back to coming back to West Ham from Newcastle, I'm sure he'd love to get his name on the score sheet. And especially Yolton as well. I, I know he hasn't really hit the ground um, just yet in terms of goal scoring, but he always seems to be dangerous in like, getting into the right areas. And the ball just sort of not falling for him. Like, it sort of reminds me a bit of, maybe it might be a bit harsh on Jorlinton, but of like Caleri. Um, like <laughs> putting in all the effort you could, you can, but it just not falling for you. But I mean, Jorlinton, I'd still rate as a much better striker than Caleri, but that's sort of my West Ham comparison to him. Um, but yeah, it'll be a very interesting match. We just need to make sure we don't switch off because we lost 3-2 to them last at the London Stadium and we only sort of we really only really tried for the last 15 minutes of that game when Snodgrass scored and I cannot remember the other goal scorer but when we actually were trying and we were throwing a few men forward and like playing to our best we were able to score against them and I think that's something we can definitely do this weekend especially coming back off performance of scoring three goals against Chelsea mostly from open play like I said earlier. So 
I don't, I'd like to see us go for it. I think a point would be a very good result for us. And I think that would sort of help scoot us away a little bit further from the bottom three who look like they're not capable of winning any sort of football match or even getting a point at the moment. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of my thoughts at the moment. Aaron, I want to just give you an open floor, just like how Henry had there. What do you like about this team? What do you think West Ham should be concerned about? What are your thoughts just in general on Newcastle here? Uh, what what should West Ham be worried about in this match? I think it's going to be, uh, be a tough transition, basically. We've just gone from three matches against teams at the top of the table who control possession, who you know had... You know, basically, West Ham was setting up in defensive, hoping to hit them on a counterattack, and now we're going to go play an opponent. I mean, I know there are not going to be any uh, supporters in the sands, but typically Newcastle away is a pretty tough trip for West Ham. Not really a, a place that the club goes and typically gets a, re- a result. And, I mean, I'm just looking at their stats, actually, from their game against Bournemouth yesterday. Obviously, they won 4-1, but they only had 45% possession, only three corners compared to six corners for Bournemouth so it's going to be I think just you know it's you got to get into a completely different mindset than the the players have been in trying to play defensively for the past three matches I mean hopefully the you know controlling the ball a bit more we'll see some of our offensive players we'll see Bowen get going a bit better and if Flair's back in it'll be uh be a much uh different type of performance than we than we have played recently but I just I'm just concerned after such a high beating Chelsea and playing the way we played that there's West Ham tends to have a bit of a bit of a letdown after games like that but hopefully the the players are able to you know Declan Rice is able to keep them focused and that's something I think we really should talk about and and I'm I'm remiss that we didn't in the first half of this uh Declan Rice captained the team against Chelsea here and and looked really strong He, he had an exceptional game um he didn't misplace a pass quite literally uh in the game he he was an absolute madman in the midfield and, and he really helped the team keep their shape push forward uh, he took charge of the ball he led by example um, but yeah that's something I, I really think that will hopefully uh, start the spell of him being West Ham's uh, captain going forward Mark Noble is uh, confirmed by X to be back in contention for this game and I think he should replace Alfie Lewis on the bench giving uh, Deck the start as captain yet again in the midfield here and and you know it could be a testament to him being an actual strong captain if he can keep this team motivated, hungry, and pushing hard like they're going into an, just another half of football against Chelsea, uh, against Chelsea when they're playing Newcastle. You know, have their backs against the wall, have their Premier League safety waiting there, and you know, hopefully, have a swing of form here. Um, for me, you know, I've been seeing that that meme online where it says like uh, Traore is what West Ham West Ham fans think Antonio is. Now we can say, you know, St. Maximin is what West Ham fans think Anderson is because it sort of seems the same uh, the same thing there. The dribbling, exciting, attacking player. Um, Anderson's just been completely off of it. So, uh, yeah, the only thing that concerns me really about this uh, about this team is that Chelsea are going to, or Chelsea, their plan is to hold the ball, work it around the outside and try and attack you through those cutting runs and, you know, through basically um, having the ball so much that they, they push for opportunities whereas as you rightfully brought up there Aaron Newcastle are a team that's going to hit you on the counter-attack they're going to take their chances when they get them and try and be as clinical as possible just with those sort of stretching runs the speed of some of their outfield players and the quality they have when it comes to finishing those chances so I'm I'm a little bit concerned uh just based off of the diff you know West Ham playing better against opposition that hold on to the ball but I think it's a mix of what you guys both said, because Henry, you did say that West Ham really need to sort of hunker down and and 
sit tight with the ball with possession and hopefully wear down their opposition uh, as far as possession numbers go, but limiting opportunities in the same sense there. Uh, I want to bring in a Hammers Pools question here and get your guys' thoughts on it. Uh, West Ham played really well against Chelsea here, and Antonio had a goal and assist. But Hammers Pools brings up a good question. If it does LR start against Newcastle, uh, I think Claret and Hugh said West Ham were targeting the Burnley match, but X has confirmed that LR is back in contention for the Newcastle match. Uh, so, uh, Aaron, I'll come to you first here. If Hilaire's fit, does he start this game? I think he does. I think we're, uh, you know, with the amount of possession we're probably going to have and the, the defensive shape that Newcastle tends to, you know, with the hardworking effort, I think you want uh, a big man up front with, with that touch. You know, we want if the ball lands in, in the box or it's bouncing around, you know, I think any of us on any given day would rather Hilaire be the man to to get the ball than Antonio. I mean, he had a beautiful goal yesterday, but he has shown that he's not always the most clinical in front of the net. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you, I don't know at that point if you, you know, if you maybe move Antonio out to out to the wing and have him and Bowen playing on opposite sides, or if you say, you know what, big man, you did a great job against Chelsea. We're going to give you a bit of an afternoon off and bring you on later in the match. I'm not really too sure, but I, I think if Hilaire's, uh, Hilaire's fit, you have to, uh, you have to get him in the lineup and get him going. And uh, yeah, I was looking at, just to bring back some more stats at the 3-2 West Ham loss against uh, Newcastle back in November, early November. Possession was 70% for West Ham, 30% for Newcastle. I don't think it'll be quite on that level again, but it just shows that it's going to be kind of a completely different football match. Absolutely, yeah. And it's sort of, again, telling of how Newcastle like to play. They're a dynamic attacking team. Uh, and for me, I say you bring Alaire in, if for nothing else than giving Antonio that rest. He's proven how important he is to us, and we know what he can do off the bench. So um, why not let him start the game on the bench? He's earned, obviously, the right to start and continue playing for West Ham, of course. That's such a, a you know an understatement. Um, but the fact that he, that he is so injury-prone as he is, you have to be concerned for his health playing, you know, five days after he just had previously played three games in a row. So um, I would start Alaire and I want him to be hungry and, and basically see West Ham have a have a good game and succeed without him in the lineup to push Alaire to sort of want to get in the game and want to start this uh, to start on the right foot for his second half season here. Um, someone that we didn't really talk about. Uh, we actually we didn't really talk about the defense at all for West Ham, but against Chelsea, West Ham looked really strong at the back. Ogbonna was, uh, you know, direly missed. Uh, Balbuena came on as a defensive sub, which was really helpful. And Ryan Fredericks was really, really strong in this game. Uh, they were attacking down his side and he incorporated Bowen into defensive coverage really well, but he also was winning those back post headers a lot of times and had a few really important clearances. Uh, and as well, we saw him burst past Bowen with some frustration because Bowen rarely hit him with the overlapping passes. But uh, I thought Fredericks had a quiet, really, really strong game. Uh, who was your who was your stud for West Ham in uh, the game against Chelsea? And who do you think um, out of Johnson and Fredericks should start against Newcastle here? And Henry, I'll come to you first. Um, yeah, I thought the same about Fredericks. I thought he was relatively quiet. He didn't really hear his name a lot. But I think he just sort of... He stuck down, did his job because we weren't really going forward too much. You didn't really see him have to burst forward. I think I saw him burst forward once, and I think for now was just sort of turned away and refused to pass to him. But no, I thought he was very capable. He sort of showed while we signed him that he can be a good, solid defensive right back. And 
I think he definitely should be given the starting role for the Newcastle game. Um, your previous point, I'd probably say Haller would be the only change I would make to the side, uh, and that would be to drop out Lanzini instead. I mean, I'm a, I'm a strong believer of never change your wedding team, but in this instance, that would be the only change I'd make, and Fredericks I definitely would sort of leave to keep his spot in the side. Interesting, interesting. And the same question goes to you, Aaron. What do you, what do you think about uh, the defensive structure of West Ham against Chelsea and, and who starts at the, at the right-back spot? I think Fredericks really, uh, I mean, I think for him in a game against Chelsea is having a quiet game is probably almost the, the best result, if that makes sense, with how much they like their backs, you know, Alonso to get forward. And I think, you know, he handled that situation pretty well and kept his form. And, you know, we we clamored between Ngakia and the Johnson and everything, and we've all discussed it so much. But I think kind of Ryan Fredericks has come in and, the last couple of matches and basically shut us all up. I think it's uh, the right back spot is is his to hold on to for now. And you know, I think it, it is kind of tough for him going forward because I mean, when Bowen is the one out on the right, he is a lot more comfortable with the ball at his feet and attacking defenders than maybe previous wingers have been. So there's not as much chance for that overlap as there as there might have been in, in the past. But I, I don't think that's the worst thing. It might allow Fredericks to, you know, focus on his defensive responsibilities a bit more and kind of make sure that we're tough to break down rather than him worrying about rampaging forward all the time. <laughs> yeah, completely fair. And Fredericks has been someone I think has been really maligned lately just based off of the Ngakia situation. Everyone thinks that West Ham is going to fail because Ngakia left the club. But in reality, uh Fredericks is proving that if he can stay healthy, which is a big if right now in his in his career, he's someone that can be relied on at, at right back, and he showed that against Chelsea. Um, guys, there's not a whole lot else I want to talk about here uh, as far as the preview goes. I'm just excited and, and hopeful that West Ham can push this uh, effort forward from what they really earned against Chelsea and, and put that into a positive momentum going into Newcastle. Um, Let's start with score predictions here, and if you guys think uh, anyone will get on the score sheet, who exactly that will be for West Ham here. Uh, we'll snake back to you, Henry, again here. Um, do you have West Ham winning? And if so, scoreline and goal scorers, please. Um, I think it's going to be a tough, tough game traveling away to Newcastle. I know we won there last season um, really well, and that's when we were playing probably our best football in the last few years. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a really tr- tricky game. I'm, Finding it difficult to separate the sides. In my head, it's either going to be a goal fest or it's going to be a nil-nil after both teams have had quite sort of good ups, like Newcastle beating Bournemouth 4-1 and us beating Chelsea 3-2. Like, I think everyone will see, oh, there's going to be loads of goals in this game. But I think it will probably end up being nil-nil. And I think I'd probably take that, but I'm happy to be proven wrong if Hannah gets on the score sheet. Completely fair there. Okay, and and uh, Aaron, what do you think for uh, for this match, and who's going to take the points in the end? I think it's going to be uh, be a tough fixture as well. I I think I'll go with uh, with a one one result. I think we're going to go up there. We're going to try to show some intent. But I, uh, you know, Newcastle is tough to beat, especially at home, and I I don't think they're going to make it easy easy for us. So, and uh, I'm going to go with. Uh, I'll go with Antonio to get another one coming off the bench with a, a trademark header this time instead. I love it. I love it. A trademark header from Antonio off the bench. Okay, 1-1. Now, I was positive this last game with a 1-1 prediction myself, uh, although I think my realistic one was 2-0 Chelsea. 
Um, so I'm going to keep the positivity going here, and I'm hopefully going to be underestimating again. I'm going to say a 3-1 win for West Ham. I'm going to say Allaire gets two goals, and I think that we see... Hmm, I think we're going to see Declan Rice. I know the, the Longstaff comparison spurred him on to his first ever Premier League goal. Or sorry, his, his second Premier League goal. I think the first one was against Arsenal. So, he, he, you know, he always gets fired up against Newcastle, as we've seen. And I'd like to see him come in on a set piece there. But I think Allaire is going to have that fire lit underneath him. The relegation battle is surely on, but but Antonio is also pressing him. And I like your idea, Henry, of going to a 4-4-2 almost with, with Lanzini stepping out of the, the team for Antonio staying on or even... Yarmolenko, if you want to get crazy up top, so I think there's going to be an offensive heavy lineup here from West Ham, and I'm and I'm here for it. I'm excited for it. So I say three uh, one was my was my uh, prediction there, but um, I think Fabianski's earned himself a clean sheet. So I don't want to say that prediction and put it out into the world because you know what happens with shutouts when that happens. So I'll leave it there. He's earned the right to that. Um, but uh, guys, any final thoughts here on the Newcastle match coming up, Henry? What do you think? Anything uh, pressing on you here? Um, not that I can think of, although it would be a good test for David Moyes to take on Steve Bruce, um, especially if they could go to a bar after the game. I think that would be probably be quite interesting to watch itself. Um, but no, I think we've covered quite well. But yeah, it's going to be a tough, tough game. And I really hope we sort of pick up from where we've left off at Chelsea. Absolutely. And Aaron, any final thoughts yourself? Just want to keep the positivity going. Ultimately, I hope go up there and you know get a get a result and don't you know don't rest on the laurels after one match. I know the that tends to be the West Ham way sometimes. So I, I really uh, genuinely hope the players can build on on what they did yesterday and you know and be happy with their performance, but also recognize they need to keep that type of uh, effort and concentration up to uh, see out the final six games of the season. And if they can get a result up there, just even better positioning for the final uh, the final stretch. Absolutely. And, and for myself, I just want to see that belief and momentum move forward here. This team's strong. They're better on paper than they have been performing, but they showed against Chelsea that when they do try and do have that effort and don't give up or let their heads drop, that they can get unlikely results and important results. So I, I think Newcastle are in for a tough match here. I don't want to underestimate them at all because they are and have been a better team this season than us, as the table shows and as the recent results show. Um, so let's prove that we are a team on the rise and someone to be watching out for. And uh, let's let's aim for all three points and accept nothing less than that right now. So for Aaron, for Henry, for myself, and everyone here at Green Street Hammers, thank you guys so much for listening. And until next week, come on, you iron. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.